You have arrived at the destination for education and entertainment. WebmasterRadio.fm Because not everyone's last name is Gates. WebmasterRadio.fm We're everywhere. Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter and Boguski, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR, The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now here's your host, Katie Kempner. I'm Katie Kempner. Today is Tuesday, June 12th, and you're listening to The Hook, where each week I talk to advertising, branding, and public relations insiders who are both leading and covering the industry. My hope is by listening to these thought leaders, you will find inspiration and new ideas and have some fun along the way. Today, I am incredibly excited to be joined by Elspeth Lynn and Lorraine Tao, two creative powerhouses who, along with Andy McCauley, opened Zig, which is headquartered in Toronto and now also in Chicago, known for their amazing, award-winning work. I met them through MDC Partners, where I am part of, and so are they, and I couldn't be more excited that they agreed to be on my show today. Welcome. Thank you, Katie. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Now, are you guys in Toronto today or Chicago? We are actually in Toronto, and it's a very hot day in Toronto. It's about 31 degrees. <laughs> well, it's, I bet it's not as hot as in, my, in Miami. It's a scorcher already, and it's only June. <laughs> so I guess, I guess a thing to do is, you know, I'll just I'll, I'll start with some history about Zig, and um, you guys can decide who wants to chat on it or if you both do. And I guess I, I should just start by saying, why did you decide to open an office in the U.S.? Well, we were pretty convinced that what we do at Zig would have uh, appeal to U.S.-based clients, and we also just thought for the people that work for us, it would provide really interesting projects uh, for them to be involved in that they wouldn't normally be involved in. And why did you decide then to partner with an existing agency as opposed to just opening your own office here? Well, it it, uh, gave us a head start. Um, Kevin Lynch and Steve Carley had both worked with Andy in a previous life, so we... Mm -hmm. We knew that they were incredibly talented, and we knew we were on the same wavelength with them, and they had set up their shop in a very similar way that we've set up ours, so it was a really natural um, link to, to, to set up with them, um, and uh, so it just gave us a great head start. New York City, which you know is considered, I guess, by many still to be the hub of advertising, can be a very... Um, intimidating place, and I think that for some agencies, well, I'll just use Crispin Porter Boguski as an example, you know, we kind of feel that it, it's worked in our favor not to be in New York, because we're sort of out of the loop entirely of all that agency stuff that's always going on within the industry. In Chicago, it's not quite the same. I mean, it's not New York, but it does have a significant advertising community. Why Chicago as opposed to New York or or anywhere else? Well, we think that New York is full. 
Mm-hmm. It's got every size and shape of agency that exists um, exists in New York. And Chicago, of course, is dominated by kind of these multinationals. So we thought we had a real chance to shine there. And, of course, as you mentioned, um, Kristen demonstrated that you can have an agency anywhere. So it, it, it's different in Canada where it's very kind of Toronto-centric and then Vancouver is also another hotspot as well as Montreal, but it's dominant in Toronto, uh, whereas um, in the States you can be anywhere and have an agency and be successful. Now, going back to your early history, I know you guys worked together. Can you sort of tell me a little bit about, you know, how you worked together and how you ended up deciding to open up the thing in the first place? Yeah, sure. Um, Elspeth and I had been a creative team for a number of years, and um, we were getting frustrated because we were, we, we were sick of writing just scripts. We were finding that um, in the places we were working, a lot of the times the media plan was always decided upon and bought months before we were even briefed on a project. And um, and Elspeth and I really liked to, we're real problem solvers, so um, we really like to get to the nuts and bolts of the problem and solve the, the heart of it. And we were finding if we would come up with a great idea to really solve a problem, unless it was a radio ad and a half-page magazine ad that had already been bought, um, mm-hmm. it, was, you know, it just wouldn't go forward. And, um, and we thought, you know, wouldn't it be great to... to if we had a company where you really could really solve the problem and, and not be constrained by, um, by the, the channel or the form that, um, that it would take. And it just so happens that Andy McCauley, who is our, our business partner, was having the same sort of frustrations. And um, we all met up and, and hashed it all out and, had, and talked about opening a shop. And I guess the rest is history. <laughs> The rest, as they say, is history. (laughs) You know, once, I mean, you guys have won so many awards, and I kind of, as can approaches, last show we had on Susan Lilly, um, who is the can representative with USA Today, talking all about can, and um, Elspeth, weren't you a judge there last year? Yes, I was a judge for a poster and print, and it was a very interesting experience besides the fact I was there for two weeks and never got to sleep before 3 o'clock in the morning, so I was exhausted by the time I came back home again, but it was uh, great. It was great to see, and then, of course, I was fortunate enough to be in the DNA D jury um, just a couple of months ago, so I saw you know some of the work that's going to be entered into Cannes this year. Well, let me ask, well, are you, first of all, are you both going to go to Cannes this year? Where I was so exhausted last year that I'm, I'm actually taking a pass this year, so I actually won't be there. And the idea of it just exhausts me. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and the truth is, three o'clock is pretty early for kids. <laughs> well, I, well, I, I know. was early because I was judging, and not, yeah, I mean, Jeremy, Jeremy Cregan, who's a great director at DDB London, I think stayed up till I think he stayed up all night actually, so he was severely hungover. I think like almost every day of judging. So, you know, funny. I have this funny thing in Ken because I always, I really pretty much stay out very late every night and yeah. then Chuck Porter fades away and everybody fades away and so then I'm thinking okay well I can kind of go now and but I seem to have that kind of experience where people be like oh yeah, it, it could be 3 in the morning it could be 2.30 in the morning they'll be like oh you know right after you left we all went to the beach and we had such a great time <laughs> <laughs> yeah it pays to be the last woman standing sometimes I miss all that though I'm like well what do you mean and then I try to stay up but oh no Katie right after you left we all just Decided to, so I, I give up. But I guess my, my, my real question is, you know, having been a judge of different awards and you guys having won so many, what, what do you think is the true worth of award shows? 
Well, to me, award shows are, um, award shows in advertising, kind of like the Oscars in Hollywood or the Olympics for athletes. They set the gold standard that others can get inspired by. So that's why I think they're important. And, you know, yes, they can be subjective. Um, and, and yes, things can win that you don't think should win or things don't get in that should. Uh, but at the end of the day, in general, they're very good at, at setting the standard for people. And I think just our culture, our human nature, needs to know what to strive for. It's just the way we operate as human beings. So that's what I think the, the worth is. And they're great, of course, for building an agency reputation and an individual's reputation. Well, you know, you raised an interesting point because you you said you were just on the DNAD jury, which is also for people that don't know, is an extremely prestigious award show. And you saw, so you saw a lot of work that then you were going to see, you know, that then people see and can. Do you think that? With award shows in general, it's pretty much the same work. If it wins one place, I mean, similar to the movie industry, if it wins one place, it's winning the whole way, so it's really repetitive. Or do you think that in places like Cannes and DNADs, there's more surprises? Well, I, I think there are variances. I think, in, in general, the top shows award the same kind of um, body of work, but I think it's quite fascinating to see how they rank that body of work within within it. So what gets a gold uh, can doesn't necessarily get a pencil at DNAD. Like it, it does go back and forth a little bit depending on the taste of the jury, which is, of course, where it gets subjective. There are, of course, um, commercials uh, like the Guinness spot from last year that, that transcend all award shows and end up either getting best of show or you know the, kind of the top award. But there there is variance, because, and each show show does tend to be uh, a little slanted. Um, for example, we all know that can traditionally favors more visual spots, um, and and DNAD has a bit more edge, I think, than some of the other shows, and the one show is really known for like, clever, clever spots. Um, so it, it really does have its variances, but I think in general, this, this a similar body of work is awarded. Do you think now? Last year in Cannes, there was all you know. Chuck Porter was on the Titanium jury, and you were on a jury, and there was talk, which I think happens every year, which to me just blows my mind, that the, that certain judges were sort of um, favoring work from their country, and there's kind of this debate about that. I mean, do you think there's any validity to that, or that's just ri- ridiculous? Well, a, a lot of people walk away from a jury experience saying that. I find in the it's usually there's usually a number of rounds that you go through, and I find the first few rounds you're going so fast. Like, unless you knew every, almost every single piece that every single you know agency and every single country has done, I find it it goes too quickly for you to really start being manipulative or thinking about oh you know I I better, I better put that in because you know the BBDO New York office that or whatever the case may be. It's going too fast to really start thinking about that too much. Um, mm-hmm. I would say in the final round, that's maybe where it's more likely to happen. I found on the can jury I was on last year, it was very much split in half of the taste of the jury, um, which was which was interesting. And half the people liked a certain kind of work, and the other half liked another kind of work. But I did I actually didn't find it was it was um, about the country that did it. I found it was more about the style of advertising. Mm-hmm. So now. Like I said, I think it's an easy thing to say, and I think it, uh-huh. I think it does probably happen. I would say on the juries that I've served on, luckily, I haven't seen a lot of it. I think there are definitely agencies, you know, there are some agencies that are so well-known, everyone knows the work they do, they, I think people do feel bad about actually not awarding it, so I think in, in any 
sometimes it just happens the opposite way where because you know it's a great agency, you'll you'll award it anyway. I think that happens. Yeah, you know, and another, just to skip around, this, I was trying to lead into that, but actually... Well, Another quick question that I had about that about scam advertising, which was another sort of controversy last year, or sham, I don't know what, what they call it, but where people enter in um, work that never ran, or they or the agency paid to run it once, you know, the client didn't necessarily buy it. I mean, do you think that there's more of that lately, having just been at the DNADs, or is that getting better? Wow, that's, it's a good question, it's, and it's really so hard to know because there are, you know, inevitably someone's hand goes up and says, hey, I know who did that, and I know it only ran once, and there's a check on that. I think award shows are trying to, in general, clamp down on that um, kind of more so now. Um, and what I've found on the juries I've been on is that the, the, the foreman or the chairman of the jury will say, you know what, we have to assume it's innocent until proven guilty, so please mm-hmm. judge it as if it is absolutely valid. So... I think there's um, always been a degree of that. I think it's going to probably become actually a little tougher, um, especially when it comes to, you know, the cyber category and viral advertising. I think it's actually going to become a little trickier. But I think there's always going to be, unfortunately, a certain a certain degree of that. Do you think that award shows, in the end, that awards help get clients or they help recruit people? Or I, I understand what you were saying that, you know, it's like being in a movie and winning an Academy Award. It's a great feeling. It's the gold standard, and people want to—they want recognition for work that they've done. But I mean, what what tangibly? Because it's expensive to do these things, and you guys have won so many awards. I think you're good to to tell us, like, sort of what you you get from that. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good question, and I don't know if I have the kind of ultimate answer to that. And I think there. Are, there are, uh, you know, clients vary. Some clients say, you know what, we don't really care about awards, and they actually get frustrated if the agency um, is being too obvious about, you know, liking to win awards as well. Um, but I think, on the other hand, uh, awards do help with the uh, agency's reputation, and I think clients find it easier to take on an agency that has a great reputation, and I think there has been enough proof that shows that you could have great work and have great results, which is ultimately what any agency and client should want. Um, so working from that ideal, you know, if everyone believed in that, I think we wouldn't have a problem, but that's not necessarily the case. But I, I mean, I, I think no client wants to be with a loser agency. I mean, really, unless they want someone who wants to like, just be an order taker and do whatever they say, I think clients want to be with a winner agency, and that's why I think the agencies that have the best reputations are the ones that ultimately get on those short lists for new business pitches. Very well said. Well, let's talk about agencies' reputations. I mean, your agency has a fantastic reputation, and um, how much time do you think do you guys spend thinking about Zig's reputation and how you're going to, you know, make it bigger? Well, now we find we spend kind of half our time doing that because we, we found it was very different starting an agency in Canada where Andy and Lorraine and I could go on our reputations because mm-hmm. uh, people knew us and we'd, we'd been here for, you know, quite a while, whereas in the U.S. it's different, so no one really knows us from Adam. So we're finding that we're actually spending quite a bit of time. I mean, you always have to be striving for great work regardless, but we're spending definitely half our time. Actually, Lorraine and I are specifically working on new business right now in terms of what are the 
pieces. What are the what are the things we're going to do to entice new clients who don't know us? And we're trying to figure out hopefully clever ways of uh, of doing that, the smart ways of doing that, um, because we definitely have a different job to do in the states than we did in Canada. And I guess you know because a lot of people that listen to to this show are are PR people like me. I want to know you know as two owners of a of a big agency, how important do you believe that the P, that the press is, you know, the actual media relations is as a tool for, for building Zig's image here in the U.S.? I think it's critical. As Elspeth was saying, because we're introducing ourselves to the U.S., um, we have to use all the tools that are available to us, and, you know, awards are going to be important. Uh, PR, press is going to be really important for us. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, to, to be able to let people know we're here and let people know what we're all about and and the the press is going to be instrumental in that we think well you know it's it's interesting because you said in Canada you guys could you guys you girls you gals you women <laughs> Which gets into the next thing I want to talk about. But wait, wait, I want to finish. Um, the the trade press in the U.S. really seems to have a very negative bent towards the advertising trade press, towards this industry that they that they cover. And I always find that a little surprising. And I don't understand quite why it sort of hates what it talks about. And do you? First of all, do you agree or disagree with me? And then how does that compare to to the Canadian press? Well, we're definitely more familiar with the Canadian press, and we actually don't believe it's the press that's negative because their job really is to be objective and mm-hmm. deliver the facts. We find it's the community uh, that can be negative and very harsh on 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 colleagues' work. So we don't we don't think it's the press. We think it's we think it's the community. I think that's some strange quirk in human nature that people think they sound smarter or something if they're being critical of somebody else. And and yeah, we're not sure why that that's the case. It's, it's the Simon Cowell syndrome. <laughs> right. <laughs> we should really all be supporting each other. I mean, it, it, you would think. Yeah, well, that's sort of something that we spend a lot of time thinking about here because, you know, it just seems that in a time when it, it's one of the most exciting times to be in advertising, I think. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. But things move so quickly and not everybody is able to, uh, you know, not everybody thinks that's a good thing. I mean, do, do you guys think it's a good thing? Do you think it's a great time to be in advertising? We think it's an amazing time to be in advertising because we, we started creative directing when we opened Zig eight years ago. And what was hard for us is that everything's changed since then. So we'd be looking at work that teams have done, and we have some great teams here at Zig. And we'd be like, oh, wow, we wish we were working on that project because it's being cracked wide open. And so that's why we wanted to get back to being a team because it is so incredibly um, fascinating right now. And in terms of solving problems, there's just so many different ways uh, to do it. And so we're really happy with where advertising is going. And for us, you know, we look at agencies like Crispin or Droga 5 or Anomaly. Or, you know, there's, there's a lot of agencies out there right now that are doing some really interesting things. And to us, it's like, you know what, look what they did. You know what, we got to do something that's as great as that. And you just, we wish other agencies looked at it as more of inspiration as opposed to jealousy. Um, and, you know, because when we got into advertising in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, everything was much more kind of secretive and agencies were very kind of like... Um, careful with each other in terms of getting leaking out information and it was very kind of closed-minded whereas I, I mean I think and I hope now it's it's becoming more open-minded not in terms of not only in terms of the way we do things but the uh, the way we look at other agencies who are doing great things as well 
You know, that, that's a great point. Let's take a tiny break and then come back and talk more about the future of advertising. We'll be back right after this. Sit tight and don't move. The Hook will be back after this short break. boys and you girls too. I'm here to talk to you about Milnick Media, the best CPA network, period. They sure know how to deliver, and I know something about deliverance. Now, you want to get paid? Damn right you do. We'll make sure you get your money. Milnick Media's got support people who know their ass from their elbow. Need a new jet ski? How about one of them new fangled plasma TVs? Well, Cousin Jeremy here will hook you up with our performance rewards program. Email submits, zip submits, ringtones, Hell, we got them all! Yeehaw! Hey there, it's Cousin Jeremy. Get on over to M-I-L-L-N-I-C-Media.com and we'll have you so happy, you'll be squealing like a pig. It's all about links, baby! Content is king, but links are what you need to get you those all-important organic search listings. Float to the top of your keyword listings within the major portals while driving targeted traffic to your website at the same time. Work with a company with a proven track record for delivering results for thousands of individual website owners and major Fortune 500 companies. TextLinkAds.com is your source for securing relevant links. Baby, TextLinkAds.com. Once a tool used exclusively for communicating with the media, PR Web was the first company to develop a distribution strategy around direct-to-consumer communication by implementing Web 2.0 technologies. PR Web has completed the online communication loop by directly engaging your audience with your news. For example, PR Web is the first newswire to integrate press release trackback. Whether you want to dominate your market or just make a little noise, PR Web is here to help. You thrive in the marketplace and the media. PR Web. Melanie, what can the problem be? Sweet Melanie, why won't you go out with me? Now tell me about your relationship with your mom, Melanie. Uh, is this the Dr. Phil show, Byron? Oh, yeah. I'm oh. interested to hear more about that. And, you know, you should be grateful to my mother. You wouldn't uh, have me here if it weren't for my mom. What, are, you, are you telling me I'm my mother? We can no, end no, this radio no. show what right now. What are your now. thoughts? Does your mother stress you out? Do you think? I, I'm asking. I, I don't know. I moved 1,500 miles away. <laughs> the only stress I have now is what the personal questions I get from you. What can the problem be? Sweet Melanie, why won't you go out with me? Get to know Melanie Mayer on Life Tips. Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Open your windows for a breath of fresh air. WebmasterRadio.fm And hey, Mac, we're here for you too. WebmasterRadio.fm, we're everywhere. Now back to The Hook. The intersection of advertising and PR. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Now, here's your host. Welcome back. I'm Katie Kempner, and today I am joined by Elspeth Lynn and Lorraine Tao, uh, two of the owners of Zig. 
the amazing Toronto agency, which is now not just in Toronto, but also in Chicago. So welcome. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. That's my favorite part. I like the, <laughs> <Welcome>. <laughs> I like the internet. I don't know. But, so we were talking about the future of advertising, and, and I want to ask both of you, I mean, so much has been made of the death of the 30 and 60 second commercial. I, I, I think I read somewhere that TiVo actually has a section to record commercials, but what's your take on the place for commercials going forward? Well, you know, it's it's a, it's a good question and definitely one of the most, you know, kind of prevalent questions out there right now. And, you know, when you look back and, they, you know, they said radio would die when TV came in and that newspapers and books would die when the Internet came in. But we think as long as there's value to a medium, it will exist. And there will be kind of a natural shifting while people figure out, you know, which mediums best fit their lives. But in the in the end, we think all mediums that have value will find a way to coexist with each other. And now we've seen the commercial... Um, on the web, so there's, you know, commercial doesn't just have to mean it's on TV. I think the the definition is opening up, it's broadening up. So, um, like I was saying, as long as there's there's value, because a, a commercial really is a great way, a dimensional way to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean it just has to exist on TV. So we don't think it's going to die. We just think it's going to evolve and change and adapt to the new way things are being done. You know, a lot of times when I sit in an interview with Chuck Porter, people, a journalist will pull out this question that they sort of, you know, get this glint in their eyes and they say, what do you think, you know, is going to be the next big way that, you know, advertisers are going to communicate with consumers? Is it going to be on their iPod or is it going to be on their cell phone or where is it going to be? And how many people do you have in a department thinking about that? And Chuck always says, look, you know, we're not futurists. The consumer will tell us how they want to get their message and that's how we'll deliver it. And I wonder, you know, where do you guys fall? I keep calling you guys. Where do you fall in that? Where do you fall in that? I mean, do you, you know, how do you subscribe to that? I think Chuck makes a really good point because I think we've changed from, uh, it's almost like we've been performing a play on a stage to an audience. And now the audience wants to and is being invited by some brands to come up on the stage and perform together with the, with the advertising agency and, and, the, and the client, which is really interesting because it does drive things in a much different way. And I think so much has changed over the last few years, and we've seen the consumer have much more... Um, Impact. I think Chuck is right. I think that's just going to continue happen, happening. And with technology, consumers are going to let us know what's going to be working for them. And it's not so much about what we think anymore. It has to be an open dialogue now with consumer and agency and client. It's, it's a two-way street. It's not just us telling them what to think and how to think it. In your recent profile in Adweek, congratulations. Thank you. So I guess you're not going to have to worry about um, people not knowing you guys for much longer. <laughs> but. You you say that you hate, one of the things that you hate is when agencies say that they are media neutral. Is is it the catchphrase that you hate or is it the idea of being media neutral? Well, I I think it's, uh, it's, it's neither really. It's about agencies who really don't have the structure or really have the inclination before to be media neutral who are now claiming it. I I think the the, the agencies who, um, who, who really are media neutral and it, I mean, it is a great philosophy to go by, but it's like it's being this bandwagon that everyone's jumped on. But you, I think you have to be structured differently. You have to mm-hmm. think about ideas differently in order to really have that be true. So it just, you know, it's when 
for me, it's when, you know, the big multinationals who have been around for decades start saying they're media neutral. It's kind of like, oh, come on, guys. Like, there's something about a purity um, to the structure that really allows um, for media neutrality. And to me, it's just a lot easier when agencies like uh, Crispin, like Anomaly, like Droga5, and like us here at Zig, like that's just, and, and Taxi's another place. That's, that's just how you think. And it's yeah. the way you're structured, and that enables you to truly have it. So to me, it's, it's just, you know, in this business, there's, you know, it's just, you, you know when something's genuine, and you know when something's disingenuous. And when it's disingenuous, it's just like, oh, come on, guys. Like, here we are trying to, you know, pull the wool over people's eyes. You know, I think agencies should just figure out what they're, what they're great at doing and just be genuine uh, uh, and, and stick with that. And, of course, they have to evolve, but it's just when everyone starts saying the same thing, you know, it's, it's hard to say the phrase anymore without sounding like a cliché. Well, here's another uh, phrase that's a total cliche, branded entertainment. I mean, that seems to be an umbrella word that means all sorts of things that people are throwing around like there's no tomorrow. And so many people are able to latch on to one idea and and claim it as as their own. I I, w- I said um, a story once on one of these shows, which is when people were first starting to bandy around branded entertainment was a year that I was in Cannes with uh, Chuck Porter and Miles Nadell, the chairman of MDC Partners, and we had three meetings in a row. It was a couple years ago, and it was soon after American Idol had really come out, and. All three of the people that we met with in a row said that, you know, their their specialty was branded entertainment and they were responsible for hooking Coke up with American Idol. And I think that just goes to show that, you know, it's sort of all over the place. So many people are involved in, you know, one project that's considered brand entertainment. What do you think it means and how well do you think it's working at this point? Well, I think on a very basic level, branded entertainment is about embedding one's brand or brand icons as, as part of an entertainment property. Um, but we think you just have to go back to principles because we believe it has to be done um, in a meaningful way. So just sticking a logo anywhere um, is going to have less impact than placing a brand or brand idea that has, that has relevance to the consumer. And, you know, I'd say there's some cases where it's working well and some and some that it's not, but it's about, I think, no matter what the kind of newfangled, you know, uh, uh, catchphrase is, it's all about the principles behind it. And I think some people take them on too much of a superficial level without really going back to, you know what, let's figure out what the strategy is, what the idea is, who we're talking to, and why this is going to work, as opposed to, like I said, um, kind of layering it on superficially and thinking that mm-hmm. it's doing its job. That makes a lot of sense. So now I want to talk about women in advertising, even though I've called you both guys for the whole show. Because <laughs> I have all sorts of feelings about about this. But but uh, I want to ask you guys, do you, see, I just did this again. Do you think it, it was tougher as women to start an agency than if you were men? Of course, acknowledging Andy's part of it. <laughs> uh, actually, we think it's been an advantage just because there's so few of us, and it's, it's such a shame that on that kind of top level, there's really just, you know, a few handfuls uh, of women, especially in the creative area. Um, and Andy McCauley's actually been the perfect partner for us. Um, because his business abilities um, are balanced with our creative abilities and also his kind of, uh, you know, his, 
his uh, sense of uh, yeah, as a guy is also with us as, as women, and we think uh, it's, it's got to be about both, and it can't just be a bunch of women running an agency. It shouldn't just be a bunch of men running an agency. It's got to be about both, especially when you think about you know the the number of women who are buying products these days, and there are eighty percent of you know the consumer power out there. Um, it has to be both, but I think it's been an advantage because it it's ended up being. Um, one of our strengths, even though we have clients that, that uh, of course, speak to both sexes, uh, we definitely understand how to speak to women better than, better than most agencies do. Why do you both think that there aren't more top-level women creatives in this industry? You know, it's such a good question, and we don't have, you know, a, a survey or data or anything to prove it because we're discussing this, and we discussed it over the years. Uh, when uh, Lorraine and I were in our college, it was 50-50. There were just as many, there was actually probably a few more women really? than there were men at our college. So, you know, what happens kind of throughout the years, and obviously one of them is uh, if a woman decides to um, go off and have a family, it's um, some women are great at handling both. Other women change their focus and change their priorities, and for them, a family is having everything. So, so that's one reason, and I think you know it's it's a tough industry, and for us, it's been about who we end up working with. Um, and our partner Andy is, is the kind of guy who's extremely supportive and wants to see us uh, succeed. So when you have supportive people around you, it, it makes it a lot easier. People that you can trust and people that are just genuinely nice and down to earth, um, which is I don't we don't think is the case in in every single agency. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, but it's um, it's it's been uh, it's been great for us. I mean, Lorraine and I can't imagine not having done this. And to, and I think we, I mean, we'd love to see more talented people open agencies, and we hope that that group of talented people also includes women as well. Not just because um, they have to be there, because they're ta- but because they are incredibly talented, and and it's about the equality of both sexes in our industry. Are you doing anything to? Um foster more women in advertising? Is there anything you can do? It's a, it's a good question. I mean, we definitely try to hire... We hire the most talented people when we have um, people come in to apply for jobs that mm-hmm. are also women. We get excited because we're like, yay! It's a female <laughs> writer! Thank God! There's so few of them. And I think a lot of agencies are realizing the benefit of facing that, that challenge. So we, uh, here at Zig, we definitely try to be encouraging. And when we have, uh, especially female creative talent at Zig, we really try to um, support them and make them realize that they can do anything and they can get to the top of where they want to get to. And you don't, you don't necessarily have to compromise along the way. You don't have to give up your values or your standards. Um, Lorraine and I both had a, the same teacher, Alan Casimir, who really showed us that you can have as much integrity in advertising as you want to. And part of that like I mentioned before, is really working with the right people. And so I think people go into advertising with this kind of misconception of what it's like everywhere, where if you can find those wonderful pockets and great people to work with, you can do anything, whether you're, whether you're a man or a woman. Lorraine, how did you get into the business? Well, I, I kind of took um, uh, an unusual route. I... I decided that I wanted to be a designer, actually. I ended up being a writer, but I decided I wanted to be a designer, and I uh, went to the art college here that Elsa's mentioned. We both went to um, Ontario College of Art and um, went through, it's a four-year course, and I went through, uh, I guess, the first two years. Um, 
uh, worked at a design place, came back and, oh, I think I'll take this, uh, this writing course. It's, and it just so happens that that course was um, being taught by Alan Kasner, Alan Kasmer, who uh, Elsus mentioned was both of our, our uh, uh, pivotal person in our lives. Um, he was, I think after the first class, I, I changed over completely and decided design. What was I thinking? I've got to go into advertising because this man is just so inspiring and uh, has so much integrity and so human and um, and just the and what he instilled in me is is it's all about ideas and it just sparked the the passion for ideas right then and there and and decided to go into advertising and you can stop me after that. Yeah. And then you met Elspeth, or you have, you, yeah. met her, you met her in class. Um, we were going to we were at the school at the same time. We were in different years, and uh, I think Elspeth ended up um, working for Alan in her first job. And uh, we both got scholarships at different places, and I I ended up at Leo Burnett and uh, and then YNR, and then it wasn't until um, we both went to Leo Burnett together as a team uh, a few years later that uh, we met and and joined forces and and started working together. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more with Elspeth and Lorraine. We'll be back right after this. Sit tight and don't move. The Hook will be back after this short break. A rose by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R. More than a name. Want traffic? For results without hassle, look no further than Search Ad Network. Focused on your core goals, our dedicated account management team will drive your online sales, increase brand recognition, and generate leads for offline sales through expert search engine marketing and technology. In addition, Search Ad Network offers free click fraud detection and API access into all major engines to ensure your business reaches their desired ROI. Visit searchadnetwork.com today to experience true profit through performance. 3 a.m. traveling to a conference in Oklahoma City. Steve Talbot's Ford Escort radiator hose bursts near the town of Hooker. He types Hooker Escort Hookup into another local search engine's one-box search. He has a great time that he can't expense. TrueLocal.com. Two boxes. One click. Great results. Welcome to the Daily Search Cast. And oh my goodness, now you can have Google Talk embedded in your Google personalized homepage to be part of your Google personalized life. So you can go there and you can just chat on your homepage. Just remember, folks, you know, you put that on the homepage and you don't log out. You know, I never log out of things you log out of things so suddenly all your contacts are sitting there when somebody goes to use google on your computer and then they're going oh well, let's just start messages to people <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm just saying hi it's danny i've always liked you <laughs> <laughs> i've always liked you but i really like you barry but i uh, i uh, I really like but you're fired <laughs> 
<laughs> the Daily Search Cast with Danny Sullivan, Monday through Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. Eastern, 8.30 a.m. Pacific. And if you missed any of this week's shows, check out the Daily Search Cast Week in Review, Friday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, only on webmasterradio.fm. Welcome to the Webmaster Institute for Financial Advancement, webmasterradio.fm. It's like radio with a Ph.D. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Now back to The Hook. The intersection of advertising and PR. Only on Webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's your host. Hi, welcome back. I'm Katie Kemner, and today I'm talking with Elspeth Lynn and Lorraine Tao of Zig. You know, one of the things I like to ask on this show is for advice, and I think that both of you, along with Andy, decided to do something that a lot of people think about doing, but mostly they're very afraid to do for a lot of different reasons, you know, but to to go from working for a stable big agency and decide you know what I'm we're going to go out on our own and try to make it the way we think it should be is a huge leap of faith. Elspeth, what made you both decide that this was something you wanted to do? Well, I think it was you know sometimes frustration can actually lead to something good. You know, you think back to that Honda Gur spot. You know, take something, hate something, make something better. And I think we yeah. were just so frustrated. It didn't seem uh, as fulfilling as we thought it could be to continue working for someone else. And you know, now it's I can't imagine not having done this to open up Zig, to start Zig with Lorraine and Andy, and to now have all the people we have is an extraordinary experience. And it sounds it seems really frightening at the, t- at the time. Like I think I was probably the most terrified out of the three of us <laughs> jumping off a cliff. It, it is like jumping off a cliff because you do leave the secure place, but then you think, oh my god, you know, you have one life to live. Why not? Because you can always go backwards. You can always. You know, we failed terribly the first year, and we were, like, on the streets scrounging for change. You know, we could probably, all three of us, go back to uh, another agency in Toronto and get a job somewhere. And I think you you always know you have somewhere to fall back on. Um, And we had actually saved up some money for four months, so we weren't expecting to make any money at all, you know, just survive on, you know, basics and... Mm-hmm. But it definitely was the best decision we've ever made, and and I would certainly encourage anyone who wants to open up their own shop to do it. You just have to do it with the right people. Yeah. Case. You can't just do it with just anybody, and we were so fortunate to have uh, met Andy. He was the, the really the, the perfect guy um, to do it with, but, but no regrets, and we actually don't know why more people don't do it. Because there's, there's, so, there's a, you know, when you go to Cannes and you meet, like, you know, at least 20, like, really interesting, bright people who are working for big agencies. And you're like, what? You know, you just don't understand. But, you know, it's we certainly understand the fear because we've been there. But I think when you go with the definition of fear, which is being scared but doing something anyway, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's we what we ended up doing. And, um, yeah, no, no regrets. So we definitely uh, highly recommend it. <laughs> I was just thinking to myself when you said you lived on basics. I I, I don't know you that well, Elspeth, but I know that your shopping habits are somewhat like mine. (laughs) I'm thinking, how basic would we have to get? Right, right. Yes, yes. No, but that's excellent. That's really excellent advice. So, So do you think then, I mean, when you say you think more people should do it, do you think that the industry and the timing really is ripe where it doesn't matter where an idea comes from? It doesn't need to come from a big agency anymore? 
It definitely doesn't have to come from a big agency anymore, and, I, and, and clients are getting more and more comfortable with um, giving projects to mid-size and smaller companies, which is which is fantastic, and that's why I think the big agencies are, you know, trying to evolve and trying to shift because they see that happening just from a business point of view, and clients are some clients are are less afraid to do that, which is great, and that's really just changed over, really, like it's the last seven or eight years. It's you know, it's it's. Hasn't been a long, long time, but we're we're certainly glad of the shift because it's benefited us. Yeah, and and it is about who who can come up with the best idea to to develop a brand and ultimately make money for the client. And like I said, the the clients realize that it's not just the big agencies that do that anymore. In fact, do you think that maybe some clients are looking and they don't want a big agency? That they're thinking that the better ideas are coming from different, more alternative types of shops. Well, it certainly seems certainly seems that way. And you know, having worked in the big agencies, I mean, there are some great agencies that are that do also happen to be big. But there's also inherent with that a structure that isn't necessarily focused or or geared towards having great ideas. It's it's it becomes more about this like process and this comfort of this process and structure, which doesn't necessarily equal fresh innovative ideas. So, I think there are clients who like the comfort of that, but there are also clients who say, you know what, you can be comfortable, or you can you can be with a more kind of nimble, quicker agency that's just that understands what's going on, that's quicker with great ideas, who really wants to do the right thing. And now mm-hmm. clients have that choice. You know, there's never been so much choice for clients in terms of where to go to get an idea. And now it's not just a matter of advertising ideas; it's about communication, of course. And so there's so many there's so many um, different companies that come together. I mean, I think it's more complicated now in some ways. It's harder for a client because they might have an interactive agency and a regular advertising agency and a PR firm, and you know, and a design firm. So it's it's more complicated, but. The goal is to still, you know, keep the process relatively simple, but it just doesn't mean going to one big place that does everything anymore. And it's true. Everything is so much more complicated now. And, you know, it's so, I think when you, when you talk about clients that have one agency for this and another agency for that, part of the, the reason is that they just, they want to have control of their brand and their brand message. And it's, there's so many places where that message has to be these days. Mm-hmm. So, and they want the best people um, thinking of those messages. They don't just want, you know, a couple of talented people in one big place. They want to have a, a whole team of people at every company they work with thinking of great ideas that will move their brand forward and make them look great, which yeah. I totally understand. So talking about controlling brand messages, and I just wanted to ask you both quickly um, – about blogs, because that's something that I, that we sort of have been spending a lot of time thinking about here. Do, do you spend a lot of time reading what blogs say about Zig? Well, we don't personally, but we do have someone here who who does read them on a regular basis, and uh, and for Zig, luckily it's all glowing feedback. We're we're told, so, <laughs> so that's good. Now, let me ask you: What about your clients? Do you? Do you advise them to also spend a lot of time looking on blogs and seeing sort of what how their message is out there? Absolutely, it's really important. I think for clients, it's um, it's really important to be aware of what consumers think about your product, and it really is the pulse. Um, and it and you know they really have to they have to be able to do that. They have to embrace the negative. You know, this the negative is where you're going to find um, information that you're going to be able to really use to improve what you're doing. 
um, and it gives you clarity on what, uh, how you need to move forward. Because um, blogs are really, what they really are is, is they're no different from word of mouth. And in fact, they're word of mouth that you can actually see and track. So it's, I think it's very, very, very important for clients. I think you're right. I mean, I, I agree that em- embracing the negative, that's a, a very poetic way of putting it and sort of seeing what people are saying about the brand. The part that I still find confusing and I like to always ask people about is what happens on a blog when there's something that's actually inaccurate? Is it worth trying to get, especially, you know, because one person can have a lot of power uh, bringing trouble to a brand by writing things that are either on purpose inaccurate or they don't, you know, do, do you think a company, it makes sense for them to try to fix it or you just kind of have to put it out there and leave it? I, I think as a, as, a, as a company, you just have to take in all the information and assess um, what you what you can do, and and it depends. It all depends on what someone is saying, yeah. and that's why it's. I mean, that's the great thing about the internet. You you can't control it, yeah. um, and anybody who tries to control it is probably doomed to failure. So it's it, you kind of have to take it on a case by case basis. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right about that. So we're kind of running out of time. It went so fast. I wanted to just um, have you both uh, give a, a piece of advice. Um, just sort of, if either of you, both, let's start with you, Lorraine. If you have a philosophy that sort of helps you guide your life, that helps you in business as well as everything else you do that can be inspirational to people that are listening. Well, I think for myself, it's... Um uh, it's it's really about doing the right thing, and I think if if you come back to that, no matter how confusing it gets or how political things get, or um, if you just come back to you know what are we really trying to do and what is honestly the right thing to do, then you can always live with yourself and you can always sleep at night. So that's what I what I follow. Excellent. What about you, Elspeth? Uh, I think what I found in advertising is that almost everything is solvable. If, if you're uh, a good problem solver, if you're a good idea person, you can figure out just about anything um, to do with our business. And you just have to, I think I, I want to you know, piggyback on what Lorraine said, you just have to be about doing the right thing and doing it you know, in a genuine way. But there's never um, any need to get too uh, upset or anxious or worried because you can figure it out. And I think it's it's the, it's the problems that need solving that actually end up being having potentially really interesting solutions. And you just have to always have faith and confidence that you'll get there somehow. That's great. And now let's just say this. Can we make a date for you guys to come back and be on again and we'll do it here from Miami around the pool? Uh, <laughs> fine. That was great. <laughs> we will let Andy know that you have specifically requested that and we have to go. <laughs> hey, Andy can come too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you both so much. I uh, well, thank you, Katie. wish you thanks, Katie. I wish you the best with your Chicago office, and uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. And thank you for listening. Please join me in two weeks for another edition of the Hook. Have a great day. 